Welcome to Live Truth Podcast, a podcast geared towards helping women to know Jesus, love Jesus, and live truth boldly, which should in turn cause us to glorify God with our lives, think biblically, and be compelled to make disciples. Welcome back to episode nine of Live Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Katrika, and so grateful you're choosing to join me again today. Uh, welcome to new listeners also. Today, we will be discussing a a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is addressing homosexuality. The Lord delivered me from homosexuality, as some of you already know. And so it gives me firsthand experience with a lot of the deception and the misunderstandings or lack of knowledge um, in addressing this issue. So that is one of the reasons why I like to um, discuss this topic and bring it, um, bring out points um, to you guys from a biblical perspective, along with the fact that uh, just a reminder that this series series, um, which is our second series, is entitled Culture Wars, Bringing Truth to a Wayward World in Church. And so what we're doing is looking at different topics in our culture and discussing them from a biblical perspective, just so that we know how to navigate and maneuver through these times biblically and not, you know, based on our feelings or, you know, what someone else says or, you know, the different philosophies um, that this world may have us to try to believe. So today, as a special guest, I have on um, Dr. Christopher Yuan. Dr. Christopher Yuan has been delivered from homosexuality as well and will share his testimony of um, how the Lord brought him to saving faith in Christ. And also we will delve into some questions that are commonly asked when um, addressing homosexuality. And Dr. Chris and I also um, discussed a church locally here in Greenville, South Carolina, Trinity Lutheran, and something that they have on their website. And after thinking about um Dr. Yuan's perspective, I I thought about even just looking at, you know, what was said in context of creation. And so this is what the website says, end quote, being gay, trans or bi is part of God's beautiful and holy intention for creation, close quote. So again, if we just look at this in the context of creation, upon creation with Adam and Eve, they were originally without sin before they rebelled against the Lord. So that's one thing. And so in Genesis 2, it states male and female. He created them who is God, which means, you know, there are only two genders. And then lastly, marriages between a man and a woman who God instructs to procreate the earth. If we're in same sex relationships, we cannot obey God's command to procreate the earth. So some of these reasons, you know, debunks the notion that, you know, God's beautiful and holy intention for creation. Um, so again, just another way to look at that. And so that's why it's so important, y'all, before visiting or joining churches that we check out their beliefs, you know, the fruit, the teaching to make sure it's not heretical. And if you're new to the faith and not very discerning in these areas, then get with a seasoned saint and ask them. And by all means, please pray. And so I pray that you guys are blessed by this episode. If anyone has decided to um, follow Christ, I praise Jesus for it. And contact um, Dr. Chris or I, whoever you feel comfortable contacting so that we can celebrate with you and get you plugged into a good Bible teaching church. And I pray everyone else be encouraged by this message and enlightened and convicted convicted to bring about transformation in your life by God's grace if need be. I pray that you enjoy this episode. Thank y'all so much again for your support and I love you. All right. Today I have here with me, Dr. Yuan. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me on, Katrika. My pleasure. Dr. Yuan, if you will, please tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do and how you came to faith in Christ. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, um, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. My parents raised me, though, with really traditional Chinese values. And um, I wrestled with my sexuality from a young age. I actually came across pornography at nine years old. And I know a lot of times parents are just shocked when they hear that. Uh, But actually that's that's a pretty common age now so that's that's not out of the ordinary anymore but that was the first time that i realized that i had these uh, temptations didn't tell anyone kept those kind of secret and then um i came out uh, in my early 20s i'm from chicago and i moved to louisville kentucky where i at that time was pursuing my doctorate in dentistry uh, i came out told my parents Amazingly, through that crisis, my mother came to faith and then my father did as well. I went the total opposite direction, thought they had lost their minds, uh, wanted nothing to do with Christianity. Um, I spent most of my free time just doing what all my other friends were doing, 
um, in dental school, which is have fun, right? There is no God. So you might as well live it up, party on. And I was going out to the bars, going out to the clubs. I started experimenting with drugs as well. And I, I always kind of need to pause here because sometimes people think that I'm trying to uh, portray that all gay men live the way that I did, um, that they were doing drugs or promiscuous. Of course, some do, some don't. Yeah. But I'm just telling my story. Um, unfortunately, does involve this uh, and it does involve drugs. But I also want to remind our listeners and watchers that if you encounter Christ, he's going to impact every aspect of your life. So my story is not just on sexuality. Um, I even tell people my testimony is not about a man who I used to identify as gay and now no longer identifies that way. But my story is this. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind and now I see. I once was dead in my sin and now I'm alive in Christ. I once did not believe and now I believe in the only one who is the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus. So that's my story. So yes, involve drugs. Um, and if anyone knows drugs cost money, illegal drugs cost money. And I supported my habit by selling drugs. And at first, just to a little bit, but you know, sin has its way of drawing you in. I began selling to friends, classmates, even a professor. Wow. Well, eventually I was expelled from dental school. Um, I moved from Louisville to Atlanta. And there I kept doing what I knew how to do best, which is have fun. Mm -hmm. I not only was selling drugs, but I was actually supplying drugs to dealers in over a dozen states. And this whole time, my parents had no clue that I was doing drugs, but they knew my biggest need was to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So they tried to reach out to the love of Christ, wanted nothing to do with it. They came to visit me one time and I told them, get out. They weren't telling me I was living in sin. I knew what they believed. Mm -hmm. But just the fact that God had so radically transformed their lives that they radiated Christ, that was offensive to me. And mm -hmm. I told them to leave. I didn't even give, even give them an opportunity to call up their friends to pick them up. Before my dad left, he gave me his Bible. And I'm like, I don't want your Bible. He left it on my kitchen counter anyway, walked out the door. And as soon as I left, I took my dad's Bible and I threw it in the trash can. That's how much I wanted nothing to do with God. Mm. And, you know, it was obvious to my mom, to my dad, that I was hopeless. Mm. But my parents committed not to focus upon hopelessness, but upon the promises of God. And along with over 100 prayer warriors from their church, from their Bible study fellowship group, they began to cry out to God for me. My mom began to pray a bold prayer. God, do whatever it takes Amen. to bring this prodigal son to you. In her desperation, she fasted every Monday for seven years, once fasted 39 days on my behalf. She would spend hours every morning in her prayer closet, reading her Bible, on her knees, crying out to God, interceding for me, for many others. She knew that it was going to take nothing short of a miracle mm -hmm. to bring this prodigal son to the father. So that miracle came with a bang on my door, opened up my door, on my doorstep, 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. I just received a large shipment of drugs, not my largest, but they confiscated all my money and my drugs. And I was charged with the equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. Mm. So I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. So I'd started with a bright future among society's finest in academia. And I found myself in the ditch among society's despised mm -hmm. in the Lani City Detention Center. Wow. So I tried calling home and I'm like, man, I don't want to call home. And I'm just thinking I'm going to get an earful. My mom's first words were, son, are you okay? Beautiful. No condemnation, just words of unconditional love and grace. Yeah. I'm reminded of what Paul says in Romans chapter two, verse four, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, not yeah. God's wrath, not God's anger, but it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And even on that miserable day, God was pouring out his grace and drawing me to himself through the words of my mom. Yeah. Well, a few days after that, I was walking by the cell block, uh, walking around the cell block, passed by this garbage can. There was something on top of the trash. I picked it up and it was Gideon's new testament took it back to my cell opened up it, it opened it up and i for the first time i read through the 
entire gospel of Mark. But, you know, I wasn't thinking, oh, this is the word of God. I was just thinking, I've got tons of time on my hands and I better pass it somehow. But as we know, what we have in our Bibles is not just ink on paper, Mm -hmm. but what we have is the very breath of God. And it is living and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut through the hardest of hearts, exposing my sin. My rebellion wasn't pretty sight. I thought things couldn't get worse. I was wrong. I was called to the nurse's office. and She gave me the news that I was HIV positive. Mm -hmm. So a few days after that, I was laying in my cell and I looked up at the cold metal bunk above me and somebody had scribbled something. It read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. <clears throat> for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, at the most hopeless point in my life, the Lord God was using the words penned by a prophet thousands of years ago, to a rebellious nation, Israel, to tell me that if God could have a plan for Israel in rebellion, in exile, he could still even have a plan for me. Amen. And I had no clue where that plan was going to take me, but God gave me enough faith, enough strength to get through that one day, the next and the next. My transformation was gradual. God was convicting me of my idols, obviously drugs. When there were a few months, God delivered me from that addiction. God kept bringing to mind other idols. And there was just this one thing that I felt like I just couldn't let go of, my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Went to a chaplain, and to my surprise, he told me the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. And he even gave me a book explaining that view. So I'm like, great. Now I have justification. I had that book in one hand and the Bible in the other. Mm-hmm. And you know, Katrika, from a purely human perspective, I had every reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. Mm -hmm. But it was God's indwelling Holy Spirit that convicted me that those assertions from that book were a clear distortion of God and his word. I couldn't finish that book, give it back to the chaplain, Mm -hmm. which meant I turned to the Bible alone. I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of scripture looking for justification. I couldn't find any. Amen. So I was at this turning point. Either abandon God and his word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same-sex relationship by allowing my attractions, this is key, by allowing my sexual attractions to dictate not only who I was, but also how I lived. Mm -hmm. Or... Abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship by freeing myself from my sexuality, by not allowing my desires to control who I am and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. By God's grace, I followed Jesus. As the days and the weeks and the months of abstinence passed, I realized my sexuality shouldn't be the core of who I am. You know, I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally. That's true, right? (laughs) But don't we like to add to God's truth? I added, so therefore he doesn't want me to change. Similar to people who we know are friends who say, God loves me just the way I am, so leave me alone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But after reading God's word several times, I learned that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. My identity shouldn't be defined by my sexuality. It shouldn't be grounded in my desires. It's not gay. It's not ex-gay. It's not even heterosexual for that matter, because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. Mm -hmm. God says, be holy for I am holy. You know, I thought in the past, if I were to become a Christian, I had to become heterosexual. What does that mean? Well, I need to be sexually attracted to women. And I even thought the more sexually attracted I were to lots and lots of women, the more of a Christian man I would be. But I realized that even if I had opposite sex attractions, I would still need to resist temptation and flee sin. So actually heterosexuality is the correct direction, but it just doesn't go far enough. It's not the correct goal. And if you think about this, God doesn't command us be heterosexual for I am heterosexual, but neither did he say be homosexual for I am homosexual. Instead, God says, be holy 
for I am holy. Therefore, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That's not the goal. But the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of every sin is holiness. Amen. I don't need to focus upon whether I'm struggling, whether I'm tempted, but I need to focus upon living a life of holiness mm -hmm. and living a life of purity because change is not the absence of temptations, but change is the spirit wrought ability to be holy, even in the midst of temptations. Because the ultimate issue is not whether I'm struggling, not whether I'm tempted, but the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. So I began to live this life of surrender and God revealed his plan, which was he called me to full-time vocational ministry while I was in prison. Wow. And I realized if I was going to continue on in ministry, I better learn more about the Bible. So I called them, collect my parents and they, and I told them, I think God's calling me into ministry. They, and I asked them to mail me an application to Moody Bible Institute, Okay. but there was silence on the other line because I think they both dropped their phones. <laughs> <laughs> they mailed the application into me to prison. I was really excited, got it, tore it open, began filling it out until I realized I needed references. The only people I could find was a prison chaplain, a prison guard, and another prison inmate to write my reference to Moody. So amazingly, I was actually accepted, released from prison July of 2001, started the very next month. And then I went on to get my master's in exegesis and my doctorate in ministry in 2014. And then I had the really cool privilege of co-authoring a book with my mom out of a far country, a gay son's journey to God, a broken mother's search for hope. And then my newest book, uh, I introduced this concept of holy sexuality in my first book, but my newest book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, Sex, Desire, and Relationships, Shaped by God's Grand Story. Actually, it was named 2020 Book of the Year for Social Issues by Outreach Magazine. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations. And thank you so much for sharing all of that. You have such a wonderful, powerful testimony of God's great and wonderful redemption and how he uses, oh, seemingly... Um, tragic events, I would say sometimes mm. in our lives, yes. what seems to be tragic at the time to draw us nigh unto him. And I think it's just so beautiful that he mm. shows how he works all things together for our good, you know? Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. And going back to something you said, so powerful, God does not intend for us to make us heterosexual. He intends to mm. make us holy. And so right. speaking of that, that's, the, one of the first questions that I have, um, because there is a heresy in the church now that one can be gay and be a mm -hmm. Christian. And I think you kind of spoke to that a little bit, but that's right. flesh that out a little bit more, because I think where that comes from is not having the proper understanding of, well, because you still have these proclivities to sin. You still have these same sex attractions when you come to Christ. That makes you still gay. And then now you're a Christian, you mm -hmm. know, whereas, you know, like I've always said, either we're in Adam or either we're in Christ because right. we want to add, we, want, we don't want to walk around and say, I'm a covetous, gluttonous, gay, you know, such and such or whatever other sins that we may struggle with Christian, you know? And so why would we want to say that? And so exactly clear that up for us. Yes, definitely. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of confusion about uh, sexuality as it is even in the church. And even when I'm um, helping people to understand that heterosexuality isn't the goal, People misunderstand me saying then, oh, then you still just, so you're saying that you, you're, you're still gay. No, absolutely not. I'm just saying that's not the right goal. We're not to remain in our sin at all. So it's wrong to identify, just like you're saying, Katrika, uh, I would never um, and, and by the way, this is not, <laughs> this is not my only sin struggle. I've got a lot of other sin struggles, pride, uh, anger. So I'm not going to say I'm an angry Christian. No one would say that. Um, and it's wrong. Even if, um, you know, if I was a man and I cheated on my wife, but I repented, I'm not going to continuously be an adulterous you know, Christian mm -hmm. that, uh, and, and many men, they do struggle with, the, the resisting and fighting the temptation to lust for someone else that's not their wife. But then that's, that doesn't mean that we are lustful Christians. Right. Um, so to flesh that out, what I mean when I say that heterosexuality is not the goal, I'm, I'm first of all, I am saying that it's not right to remain in our sin, whether it's the behavior or the desire. So we need to continue. To, we should not be 
thinking that it's okay to be yeah, even even the desire. I think you know we should not be thinking, oh, it's okay then to have same sex sexual desires. No, that's that's lust. Um, however, that does mean that we. Um, however, I always want to want to make sure that we're grounding all our answers in the Word of God. I, I fear that sometimes by making heterosexuality the goal, we're using as our standard Sigmund Freud. Mm-hmm. So in other words, we're defining change according to our sexual desires. We're defining change according to the direction of our, uh, of our, like you say, our proclivities or our sexual desires, mm-hmm. where God defines us has a higher goal. Amen. And that higher goal is holiness, which applies to every person. So every person, there could be a person who doesn't, has never even had a same sex sexual thought or attraction or temptation. That person still needs to be holy. That person doesn't then have get this free card that he's fine or she that, that because they're normal. No, every person needs to pursue holiness. And which is why, you know, that's, that's kind of my goal in writing this book that though it's applying to this very specific issue of same sex, sinful, same sex desires, it's really applying for every human being. So holiness is a standard. Jesus is the standard. We're not, not ever to try to identify by our sin. Now we can admit we, uh, I, just saying I'm a Christian is, is an admittance that I am, I have a temptation. Um, I have a sin nature and Jesus was tempted in every way. And so the believer is also going to be tempted in every way. Uh, but we're going to, because of our, because of our uh, new identity is in Christ, not no longer in Adam, we now have the ability by the Holy Spirit to say no to our flesh. So that's what we're called to do. You know, every day is to mortify, as we call, put to death the deeds of the body and to resist temptation. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Um, So to make things a little more clear also, I want to ask, is the same sex traction in and of itself sin or is it the acting of it when it turns to lust we know that's sin but is yes attraction is that sin yeah and so this is where we get um you know actually there's a lot of debate on this you know you know those who hold to that marriage is between a man and a woman and therefore sex is only for marriage so therefore sexual intimacy is only reserved for marriage between a man and a woman, those who hold to the cor- that correct view, there is this debate about, well, same-sex attraction is not sin, same-sex attraction is sin. And um, w- what I realize is that oftentimes what we're, again, not doing is really grounded everything in scripture, which then means we need to look at, well, what do we mean by the word attraction? The word attraction actually is not found in the Bible. Um, it's, uh, attraction. It can be synonymous with, uh, feeling or desires, but also temptations. And so what I wanted to do was to just be very, very clear. Um, if, if you look at the cover of my book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, uh, it's actually just black and white. And I was very intentional about that because there's a lot of gray mm-hmm. when it comes to sexuality. You know, we're living in a world of infinite shades of gray, not just 50, mm-hmm. where even the church, we're now, um, we hear a lot of people trying, putting more emphasis on being nuanced than being biblical. Mm-hmm. And so we need to realize that uh, that you know that, that there there is clarity in in, in what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So instead of talking about just the word attraction, I I much prefer to use biblical terminology, especially when we're talking about what is sin, what is not. The Bible uses two clear categories, which is temptation and desire. Okay. So then the question is, then rephrasing the question, are same-sex temptations, same-sex sexual temptations sinful, and are same-sex sexual desires sinful? Um, well, we can all agree that same-sex, the behavior is sinful, but what about the temptation? Well, looking at in the book of Hebrews, where it says Jesus was tempted in every way, which means every way, but he was without sin. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not that the temptation is sin, it's giving in to temptation that is sin. So we're all going to be tempted. Jesus was tempted, but he resisted sin perfectly, and he never gave in to sin. We resist temptation only in part because we're not perfect. We're, we, we're not God, and we don't, uh, especially before Christ, we didn't even have the ability you know, to, to, say, to say no to our sin. And now because of the Holy Spirit, we are, uh, but we're still growing in our sanctification. Now, the desire, which is really interesting, is uh, when you look for the word, there's sometimes this impression that a desire turns into lust. That's actually not the way that the Bible talks about desire and lust. Because the same word for lust is actually the same Greek word for desire. In the Old Testament, the same word for covet is the same Hebrew word for desire. So it's not that desire turns into lust or covet. It actually wrongly ordered desire is lust and covet. So therefore, same-sex sexual desire is wrongly ordered desire, and so therefore it is sin. So same-sex sexual desire is sin that we need to repent of, that we need to resist and flee from, and temptation is, is not in and of itself sin, but it's not good. It's not something that we should celebrate. It's not something that we should dwell on, because when we are dwelling on it, then that turns into the lusting and desiring. And so we need to resist that. We need to flee that. Okay. Thank you for explaining that so well. <laughs> so I'm going to sum it up. Basically, yes. same-sex attraction is temptation, which is not the sin, but it's when we act on um, our desires with, within same-sex attraction is when it becomes sin. Yeah, I would say so the same-sex temptation is is not sin, but it can quickly lead to it. Mm-hmm. Same-sex desire, sexual and romantic desires are sinful okay. and um and those desires can turn into actions. Right. Okay. Sinful actions, yeah. Thank you so much for that. I yeah, you're welcome. Sure. Um a lot of misunderstandings will be um made clear regarding that. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. Yes. Praise the Lord. Uh, The next question I have is regarding a local church here that Mm. um, affirms same sex relationships. Um, And they have on their website and I quote, we believe that God loves, honors, values and celebrates all people that being gay, trans or bi is a part of God's beautiful and holy intention for creation. Close quote, close quote. So could you flesh that out for me? Yeah, you know, it's um, there's a wonderful quote by Charles Spurgeon, mm-hmm. and he said that discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. So that statement, the first part is true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Can you repeat that first part that that God? um, We believe that God loves, honors, values, and celebrates all people. That's true, right? I mean, no one can argue with that. No one can argue with that. Mm -hmm. What they are denying is the sinfulness of man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in other words, it makes it seem like God, that God loves all people. And so he loves sin as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now we can um, hate our sin without hating ourselves. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's that it's the old adage that we all often hear that I, that I remind people that uh, we need to live it out, but don't say it. Don't tell an unbeliever. I love you, but I hate your sin, right? Love the sin or hate the sin. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a wonderful phrase because that's how God, God does love us. Where do we get that? We can find that actually in Romans chapter five, um, that God loves us chapter five, verse six, while we were still powerless, like that's my story. <laughs> he loved me. Not when I was like strong, you know, picking myself up from my bootstraps. He loved me while I was still a sinner. I was still in my sin that God sent uh, his son to die for me, that uh, my testimony, I was not seeking God. He found me. Um, He loved me while I was still deep in my sin at the gay clubs, doing drugs, running from God, disobedient to my parents in prison. You know, I was still in my sin and God showed his grace through the words of my mom. That was not me seeking God. He loved me while I was still powerless, while I was still sinner, and even more while I was enemy. That, that's Romans 5, 6, 8, and 10. And um, so I think that this church rejects that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I've, I don't know which church this is, but I can probably guarantee that if you were to sit through 10 sermons, they will never talk about the sinfulness of all humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll talk about, you know, the, the goodness of humanity, you know, the goodness of the human spirit, um, you know, how God loves all that. That's, that's only partial truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and telling someone a, a partial truth is just as harmful as telling someone a lie. Right, right. So they got that first part right, that God does love us. For God so loved the world, right? Everyone knows that verse, John 3, 16, but they don't know Romans 5. You can't understand John 3, 16 apart from Romans 5, 6 through 10. Um, So I think that's that's key where they're getting that wrong. They get the first part. Yes, we're creating God's image and God loves us. um, But Genesis 3 came along, unfortunately, and the fall. Um, so therefore what they're not recognizing is it, so I'm not even pick, I'm not even bringing up sexuality at this point yet. I'm just talking about the sinfulness of all humanity. Um, there's a statement that, you know, that I said in my testimony, unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. Um, so God loves me unconditionally, but God does not unconditionally approve of all of my behaviors. That's or right. all of my desires or all my thoughts. I mean, we can fill in the blank there. So that's really important. But then they make this, this other statement, which is, you know, that, that this is part of, you know, being gay is part of God's good intent. So let's break that down. Right. Thank you. Being gay. Watch how the world has turned sexuality into being. In other words, who we are. I mean, Katrika, if you go back, you know, before you came to know Christ, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, for me, I said, I am gay. Right. What does that mean? If you were to come, come and ask me 20 years ago, I would not have said, when I say I am gay, I mean, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that. When I say I am gay, I mean, this is what I feel. Absolutely not. I would say. When I say I'm gay, this is what I mean. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. So the shift from what to who has created this radically distorted view of personhood. So in other words, we have conflated or confused sexuality with our identity. Mm-hmm. That's who we are. Not. I'm not just talking about like how like labels. Like it's 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 much deeper than that. Like a label, someone could say, I'm happy. Well, I mean, so that that's kind of a label of how you feel, but no one would say that's who you are. And yet gay has become who we are, evidenced by being gay, right? Being gay is part of God's intent. Well, so let's break that down. Sexuality is not at all a part of our essence. Mm-hmm. And I actually have evidence for this. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says that there's not going to be any marriage in heaven. So let's, let's follow that logic. If there's no marriage in heaven, well, that also means that there's actually not going to be any sex in heaven. I, so I hate, you know, that might sound like really bad news, but that's okay. Because as much as people, I think <laughs> sex is just like the most enjoyable thing in the world, that's going to pale in comparison to what we're going to be experiencing in heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, I'm so looking forward to that day. Yeah. Our, our best highlight or ecstatic moment is going to just be a flicker Mm -hmm. to the immense radiance of the glory of God. Like, I I think it's going to be not only like a visual overload, but like, uh, like we're going to get like eternal goosebumps. Okay. (laughs) It's going to be so amazing (laughs) that it's, uh, you know, that just our, our most amazing taste or feeling or smell or whatever is going to be nothing at all to sitting in the presence of our holy, holy, holy God. So anyway, no sex in heaven. That's okay. (laughs) So, um, so anyway, there's no marriage in heaven, Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus was asked, you know, about, you know, uh, he was asked about the the, the, the widow, um, you know, who, who, whose husband died and then she married all the six brothers and they're like, you know, whose husband is she going to be? And, and they're like, you know, you don't know the, the power of God. And he talks about there's not going to be any marriage in heaven. So there's not going to be any sex in heaven. So follow the logic. If there's no sex in heaven, 
that means there are actually not going to be any sex, sexual, des, sexual desires in heaven because mm-hmm. we're not going to have any unfilled desire in glory. Right. So if there's no sexual desires, that actually means that our sexuality and our sexual desires and even marriages are going to be fulfilled in Christ. So they will meet their end, their fulfillment, because they're fulfilled in Christ. Mm-hmm. So um, therefore, sexuality is just a here and now reality. It's not going to, it's not part of our eternal, essential personhood. Mm-hmm. And so this church that says this, you know, is incorrect to make sexuality an essential part of humanity. Right. It's just a corollary of it's a temporal it's a temporary aspect of our existence here and now and it's going to be fulfilled in glory in christ when we're face to face with him so therefore they're incorrect to say um, that our sexuality or any desire for that matter is Mm -hmm. is is this core part of who we are Mm -hmm. Um, and just denying kind of you know uh, you know what the other passages that that touch on this influence of same-sex sexual behavior um, Genesis 19, Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, and then the New Testament, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, and 1 Timothy 1. So they're ignoring those. And more importantly, they're ignoring Jesus's very clear words for what is marriage. Mm-hmm. I think the best apologetic for why marriage between a man and woman is Jesus's own words in Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10, where he's asked about is divorce okay for any reason. And he corrects them and not only gives the reason for why divorce is wrong, but he actually gives the definition for marriage in the beginning created made a male and female and two shall become one flesh. Mm-hmm. So in other words, this complementarity between man and woman is essential mm-hmm. to marriage. That's right. Well, thank you so much again for fleshing that out for us. Yeah, um, you're welcome. And while we're on church, um, the church, how do you address, because we do have a lot of, you know, and it's not just homosexuality, but sin across the board being practiced. Mm and um, those serving in leadership positions and, um, you know, even leading worship in mm. um, pra- while practicing sin, you know, yes. um, and it's widely known. How would you help pastors to address this? Because sadly enough, I believe that some pastors and when it comes to homosexuality, did not know how to address it. So that's an issue in and of itself. So they allow yes. it to continue, but just since you know, it's still sin across the board being done. Um, That's right. How, how would you help a pastor address these issues? Well, exactly, Krachika. I mean, um, you know, both of us coming from, at least here in America, more from a minority perspective. Um, I think our cultures, African, Asian, um, we unfortunately have this tendency of not addressing sex. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. in our Asian American churches, in our African American churches, what happens? It's going on, you know, on the down low, yeah. but no one's addressing it. Mm-hmm. And that then causes this silence to be almost viewed as approval. Right. Um, or just maybe not necessarily approval, but just ignoring it, um, sweeping it under the rug, which is essentially kind of essential approval, essentially approving it. Mm-hmm. Um so, and I, and I like, Katrika, how you didn't just make it uh, an issue of, well, what do we do if the person is, um, you know, in a same-sex relationship and in a point, uh, uh, a place of leadership in the church? Mm-hmm. Because what you're doing was making it broader, because that's, that's always what I, what I want to do. When people ask these questions specifically on this, I, I want to say, well, let's think about the broader principle, because these broader principles are going to always help us with the specific principles. When we're trying to get caught up on kind of the specific, we can then ignore and, and almost forget about what's the broader principle and come up with the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. So like you say, Katrika, it's this question about, well, should I have someone who's in a same-sex relationship than in leadership? The question is, should I have someone who's in unrepentant sin, any sin, mm-hmm. be in a, a place of leadership in the church? Mm-hmm. Um, here, here's is a, an argument that I often hear or a point that's sometimes made by young adults. They say, well, you know, we have people in the church who sin, true statement. Mm-hmm. Um 
uh, for example, you know, guys in the church, they look at pornography. Um, why then are we okay with that, but then not okay with a, a, a gay man and his, you know, uh, a gay couple coming to our church? And then why are we making that such a big deal? Mm-hmm. The problem is repentance. Right. So let's kind of go back to this illustration and specifically just focus on, on pornography, not even talking about the gay couple. Mm-hmm. I say I had two different men attending, attending church. Mm-hmm. One young man was, he struggles with pornography. And, and he's, and that's the story of many men, not just those who, you know, struggle with same-sex attractions, struggle with pornography. And let's say he shared that with uh, an elder or a deacon or a church leader or pastor. And let's just say this past weekend, he gave in, look at porn, Mm -hmm. calls up his pastor the next day, confesses pastor. I messed up. I looked at, you know, whatever, uh, pray for me. Um, can you help me, you know, uh, tighten up my, you know, filter or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, uh, check out, you know, cause we all need also filters on our phones and our te- iPads, you know, cause that's, that's where people are accessing. So how, you know, help me with that and, you know, put another uh, block on whatever stuff like that. So th- working through that, pray for me and, and, and ask me later this week, how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's example A. Let's go to example B. This young man's coming to church, um, not really meeting with any pastor or, uh, you know, leader or elder or whatever. And he comes with um, a stack of porn. Okay. And he begins passing it out. He's like, you know, after church, he's like, man, this is God's gift. Mm -hmm. And it is so good. It has even helped my my relationship with God Mm -hmm. by looking at this porn. You know, it's, it's, this is human, it, you know, uh, God's creation. Would we treat those two people differently? I hope so. <laughs> because um, we, what we have, the difference is unrepentance and repentance. And of course, this man might continue to struggle, but he's never at the point of celebrating sin. Okay. See, when you're a point of unrepentance and especially celebrating sin, that is something that we can't put up with in the church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, um, I'm going to hope that he still, this, this individual who's in unrepentant sin will still continue to come to church. Um, I'm not going to kick them out. Uh, I'm going to tell them to stop what they're doing in church, but I would love for them to continue to come to church to hear the gospel. Or I would maybe not tell them to do that. And if he continues to do that, then I would then you know, say, you can't do that. And if you're not going to stop, then there, there, you know, then I need to draw the line and you can't keep coming if you're continuing to do that. But so there's something needs to be done here. But if this individual who's being repentant, that's the difference in mm-hmm. the same way, we need to apply a higher standard for those who are in leadership. Mm-hmm. So if there is a person who is in leadership and is in unrepentant sin, he shouldn't even be a leader. And actually, if he was even just a member, we should go through the process of proper church discipline that Jesus talks about in Matthew 18. If a, if a brother sins, what do we do? Go to him individual, not gossip, not tell others, right. go to that individual, uh, go to that person individually, share with them, tell them, because sometimes we have blind spots. I have blind spots. <laughs> I need brothers in the Lord to sometimes hit me over the head with some truth, uh, to open my eyes, to say, look at this blind spot. I need that. I really, really need that. We all need that. And so to share that in love with full of grace, full of truth. Uh, and here's maybe a, a short um, um, tangent. Love is not the opposite of truth. Truth is not the opposite of love. We sometimes make them on opposite. It's not. Love is full of grace and full of truth, as Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Uh, you can't have love apart from truth. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I would go to this brother, uh, full of grace and full of truth, and share with him. And if he accepts it, praise the Lord, I've gained another brother back. If he rejects it, then what do we do? Jesus says in Matthew 18, bring another brother or sister. 
If they reject it again, that's when we bring it to the church. And so we, we need to go through that clear process. But even going to the church is not like, ah, I'm going to get you. Right. It's more about our hope that there will be restoration. That's the, the end goal is restoration, being restored back to God first, then to the family of God. Um, so when it comes to leadership, um, I think we, we, we have to have a high standard um, but that even comes back to having a proper understanding of church membership. Mm-hmm. Like if you are the body of Christ and I, I, I'm kind of a little bothered sometimes though, how this younger generation has this tendency to think that, oh, I don't have to go, go to church or even, I don't even have to become a member of a church. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we say we love Christ and not love the body of Christ? and not think that we need to be a member of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really key because when we become members, that's then us volitionally saying, I'm con- coming under, I'm being a part of the body of Christ and actually coming under the leadership and headship and spiritual guidance mm-hmm. of the under shepherds, which are our pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think so when it comes to leaders who are living in sin, unrepentant sin, um, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be discipline, just as there would be discipline and accountability with just a, a member. Amen. Thank you for that, Dr. Chris. You answered the question so wonderfully. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little long-winded. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I enjoy. I thank you so much. Um, I think I have, I have two more questions. Uh, yeah. the, the next one is, how do we love, um, because I'm pretty sure a lot of us have um, family members or those in mm. our lives that are still in same-sex relationships, how, what, what are some do's and don'ts? And, you know, how do we still continue to love them well um, with the do's and the don'ts? Yeah, well, let me start with the don'ts. Um, don't compare this with other sins. And I know that that seems like um, a good way to help people see that, you know, that we're all on the same level, but the reason why it doesn't is because they don't even see this as sin anyway. You know, sometimes be like, Oh, it's like any other sin, like murder. Well, don't do that because that's like one of the worst sins. And they at all don't feel like that. Again, they, they wrongly think it as being gay. So in in other words, they think that they can't even help it Mm -hmm. and that they are gay See, that's, in, I mean, again, that's coming the wrong, wrong uh, uh, understanding of sexuality, mm-hmm. but they don't think that their being is like murder. Right. So, so when we say homosexuality is sin, those in the gay community, uh, even in the world, don't hear us saying, oh, what you're saying is what I'm doing is sin. Mm-hmm. No, they hear us saying that their whole person is reprehensible to God because they've conflated their sexuality with their personhood, their essence. Mm -hmm. So I think it's best to not even um, use these comparative analysis. You know, it's just like even lying because they're like, I'm, you know, my, my love for my partner is not like lying. See, that's, that's that they're not making that connection. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think we can have those discussions later. I also don't think um, that we need to um, don't say the phrase, love the sin or hate the sin. Don't use the word. <laughs> um, uh, uh, don't use the word um, uh, lifestyle or even choice. And the reason is because I didn't use that word in in the past because I had the wrong identity. Again, I didn't see this as my lifestyle. Even of course, it is sinful behavior, and it and it is true, and it, it makes sense for us. But if we're trying to get in the mind and communicate to the unbeliever, we kind of have to use their language and their framework, even though it's not the right framework, but at least recognize that framework. So we're not using words that can automatically build up this wall. And then guess what? I have no, no more chance to share the light of Christ into their life. Um, also don't feel the need that you we always have to debate with people because oftentimes people, they hear you're a Christian. Oh, you're a Christian. You think I'm going to hell or you think this is sin. Do you think this is sin? Well, I love to look at the example of Jesus the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what's so interesting is when you go through the gospels and you look at every time Jesus was asked a question, the majority of the times he didn't 
answer that question. So one mm-hmm. time he was silent. Sometimes he answered a question with a question. Other times he did give an answer. He was just to a different question. And the reason is because Jesus being God knew that the question being asked is not the question of utmost importance. Because when people ask, do you think this is sin? I know that even if I convince them that this was sin, mm-hmm. that's not going to save them. Mm-hmm. Morality never saves anyone. Right. God does. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to deflect. Jesus often deflects to the more important, pressing question. So, for example, do you think this is sin? I would say something like, um, my friend, I know you don't even believe in God. So at this point, what does it matter to you what God thinks? Mm-hmm. Instead, let's talk about the existence of God. Okay. Those conversations can lead to salvation. Those conversations about the existence of God, about God himself, his character, and about his son, Jesus Christ, can lead to salvation, whereas ethics doesn't. Um, So what can you do? I mean, we need to pray. You know, my mom, she prayed and fasted. Um, You you know, the movie War Room? Mm -hmm. Well, that movie War Room was written by the Kendrick brothers. Um, The Kendrick brothers then worked uh, with this author, Chris Fabry, to turn their movie, their movie script into a book. Uh, the book of the movie came out around the same time. Uh, we got a copy of the, of the book as a free, free complimentary co- uh, copy. We opened it up and we saw that Chris Fabry had dedicated that book to my mom. Oh, We need to stand in the gap and do battle when others can't. Right. Stand in the gap. We're not, I don't think we're praying and fasting as we ought. Mm-hmm. We're not praying and fasting for the lost. We're, you know, we may pray and fast for the unreached people groups overseas, but guess what? I believe one of the most unreached people groups are the people running right our uh, doorstep, uh, next door, in, in our, the next cubicle, you know, at work, our cousin, our neighbor, our, love, our, our child, and they need to know about Christ. Some of them, who's sharing the gospel with those in the gay community? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we need to pray. Uh, we need to listen. Don't be quick to speak. I always also tell people you need to be intentional. You need to go across the street, mm-hmm. knock on your gay neighbor's door and invite them over for dinner. Right. And right away, I know people are like, Oh, but if I do that, wouldn't I be condoning their sin? And that's a good question. Mm-hmm. But you know, Katrika, last time I checked, we usually have sinners over for dinner. <laughs> right? <laughs> Nothing new. <laughs> We're just eating with them. We're not sinning with them. There's a big difference. Um, but also, I think we need to be really transparent. Uh, you know, you have an unbelieving friend, you know, if uh, my parents, if they, if I went home for, for a holiday and they whipped out the Bible, I would just shut down. I'm like, I'm not listening to any of this. Mm-hmm. But you know what people can argue with is what God means to us. Mm-hmm. How has the word of God transformed us? What has Jesus been ta- teaching us this week? Talk about that. Be transparent. I would never have considered the gospel if I didn't see the gospel lived out in my parents' lives. You know, I didn't leave pursuing same-sex relationships because mom and dad convinced me they were sinful. No, I left it because they showed me something better. And his name is Jesus. Amen. So our job as followers of Christ is just to show a dying world out there that no matter what they're clinging to, spouse, family, money, a career, success, happiness, not only is Jesus better than all of that, Mm -hmm. but following Jesus is best. Amen. 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 Thank you for that, Dr. Chris. And one of the things that I do, and I kind of agree with you on that, is, you know, when I'm sharing the gospel and someone may be homosexual, don't even bring up that sin, like you said, you know, take them through the law, let them know who God is and take them through the law. Because again, like you said, you know, the goal is not heterosexual, it's holy, you know? And so once we kind of, if we are delivered from that sin, then here's another one and here's another one. So (laughs) it's a whole life that we need to be given to the Lord, you know? Amen. That's why it's holiness. Right. Exactly. You're exactly right. And, and sometimes people mishear us by saying that we're trying to like avoid it or trying to say that it's not sin. No, but what, what I, you know, we, we see both of us see is that even if I convince them that they were sinful and let's just, even, even if there was this lesbian 
that, that I've befriended and she stops dating her girlfriend mm-hmm. and starts dating a man. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't know Jesus, she's still lost. And so we need to focus upon the main thing. The other secondary things, they're important, but our secondary importance is never more important. The main thing, which is belief in Jesus. That's right. Amen. Amen. Um, thank you so much again. Oh, you're uh, welcome. And while you were speaking, I thought of another question. Another question came to yeah. me. What do you say to those that say, God created me this way? I was mm. born this way. Yeah, that's such, you know, that's becoming more and more. Um, I, I totally get, Katrika, when, when, when an atheist or someone in the world says that I'm born this way. I get that. But what we hear now are Christians, just like you say, God made me this way, you know, just like that church, uh, the so-called church that says that. What people don't realize um, is a really important gospel truth um, that, yes, we're, we're born in, you know, we're all created in the image of God but we're also all sinners. But from what point do we become sinners? We were sinners from birth. Psalm 51, uh, five says that um, we were uh, in sin did my mother conceive me, David writes. Mm -hmm. So I tell people that, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, this question about being born gay is not answered in scripture. That's not true. Though people think that they're born gay, Jesus himself says, you must be born again. That's right. The old is gone. The new has come in Christ. You're a new creation. So, you know, Katrika, it doesn't matter whether you think you're born an alcoholic. You must be born again. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. You think you were born a liar, a cheater. You must be born again. That is not a message just for the gay community. That is a message for the whole world. You must be born again. That's right. That's right. Amen. Dr. Chris, I have thoroughly enjoyed this interview. It has been <laughs> Amen, so good and so rich and so fulfilling. And I pray that the listeners were blessed by it. I'm pretty sure they will be. And I hope a lot of questions were asked, well, answered. And so I thank you so much again. And my last request is that you share the gospel with the listeners. Oh, definitely. I would love to. Well, you know, God created us. In the beginning, he made the heavens and the earth, all of creation, and humanity was the crown of creation, and he created us in his own image. No one else, not the angels, not the animals. He created us in our own image, but we fell. We all fell in Adam, and that consequence is that we're not perfect. And, um, and then, so God loves us, and he knew that he, he needed to provide a solution, right? He's a holy God. I mean, people are like, oh no, he's just love. And so what does that mean in the world now today? You do you, right? No, God is not like that because a a just and loving God wouldn't then just let everyone go. If a judge just lets everyone go and forgives them and not has any consequence for for their sin, that's not a just God. So God is loving, but he's also perfectly just, but he doesn't want us to face that horrible consequence of death. So God in his infinite wisdom had the solution and that solution had a name and it's Jesus. So we find this perfect combination of answering God's being perfectly just, but God being perfectly loving. And he sent his son who actually then took because of God's love, he took our penalty on the cross all the sins of the world on the, on the back of Jesus. And he took all those sins and he died for us so that we wouldn't have to die that death. And it gets better. Then he rose again on the third day. Why? So that we could rise with him as well and live in eternity with God, the father. Amen. But that means then that we have to put our faith in Christ. For it is by grace through faith that we are saved. So we need to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that what that Jesus is Lord, that he is not just God, but he is Lord of all of creation. And that he's the Lord of me. He's my Lord. And so my hope is that if you're listening, if you're uh, watching, 
Uh, and if you don't know Christ in that way, that he's your personal, that he's, he has saved you, I hope that you would make that true, not tomorrow, not next week, but right now. Put your faith in Jesus and follow him. And as you follow him, we will have the Holy Spirit who's then is going to sanctify us and make us more like him. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing the beautiful, glorious good news of Jesus Christ with us, Dr. Chris. That was so, so, so beautiful. Um, the last thing is, if you will, share your um, how, how others can reach you or find you on social media or connect with you. Yeah, people, you can find me on, uh, well, my website is probably the first place to start, which is my full name, Christopher Yuan, that's spelled com. And um, I'm also on social media. So I'm on Twitter, Christopher Yuan, Facebook, Christopher Yuan. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Christopher Yuan. And YouTube is also youtube.com slash Christopher Yuan. Uh, right, uh, right now, I, I have some videos that I've watched uh, that I've of me speaking that you can watch. But in the near future, uh, maybe sometime in 2022, I'm going to actually begin posting these short videos, answering some of our unanswered questions regarding sexuality and gender. They're going to be pretty engaging. They're going to have some animation, uh, but answering those questions. So um, subscribe to my YouTube channel so that you can uh, see when these, uh, these videos come out. That's great. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to watching those videos and much needed as well. Amen. <laughs> so thank you. Amen. I'm grateful that the Lord laid that on your heart. And again, I thank you so much for such a wonderful, wonderful interview, um, Dr. Chris. And I pray that God was glorified. I, I really believe that he has been. So thank you so much again. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening and grace and peace until next time. Thank you.